Man, it feels good to be living eternally. I'm forgiven without a care in the world. Just catch me coasting and dipping. Catch me moving around. I love exploring this world. In and out of my town, I walk around. Welcome to Dap Post Mill, where we start the intro by having Dustin Beatbox and John Freestyle. Sins in the heart of man, it's parasitic. Deeper than Pacific, Atlantic, it's gigantic. Never will I stop until the good day I'm dying and it's frantic. Like the plague on my soul, slower than molasses. Never step against this, stepping into classes. Professor of the faith and professor of the Greek. Two things is the one, but the student that I see. And that's it. Thanks for the B-Box, man. That was awesome. So what's up, guys? What's going on? Uh, I'm having a, having a boy. Just found out today. Woo! Yeah, man. Awesome. So another, Congratulations. Another, another howl, howl boy to, to carry on the name. Yeah. Um, you better get that baby baptized. Yeah, dude. ASAP. <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> I'm praying hey, for rain. Yeah, dude. Uh, you know, it's cool, man. If if uh, if a Presbyterian church wants to hire me, dude, he's going to be baptized. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So you'd change, you'd change your perspective on baptism if somebody would give you a job? Yeah. Uh, well, my perspective on um, baptism is not, I'm not very dogmatic on it, bro, because I, I, uh, it would be wrong for me to be dogmatic when I have so many more things to look into. I do see uh, an, uh, a Presbyterian, this, man, Colin, I told you not to get me talking about baptism. I do see, a, uh, talked about I do see the Presbyterian baptism as legitimate and it should be honored. But I, I also understand, of course, my, you know, my upbringing, my roots with a, with a believer's confession, first baptism. But Basically, to be honest, um, since I'm in a place where I'm still, I still need to to learn and uh, come to a conclusion about my position. I also, at the same time, trust the Spirit in a true church, and will submit to the community on, in that matter. Um, but you know, I'm very, I'm very big on the first and foremost thing is is to find a biblical church and and get involved and submit to the leadership. Um, so anyway, yeah. So my conscience actually would be. Would be, I mean, keep, keep in mind, I, I was a Presbyterian, and I have no problem doing that. Um, Sorry, sometimes we all, we all backslide on occasion. Yeah, dude. I, yeah, we can call it that if you want. <laughs> but speaking of uh, conscience, and speaking of, uh, well, that's kind of that's kind of a terrible transition. <laughs> speaking speaking of Christian liberty, what's up with this Ashley Madison thing? As crazy as Baptists are. Did you hear about the whole Ashley Madison thing? Speaking of Baptists, what's up with the <laughs> adultery on the internet? So in the, in the pre-show uh, warm-up, when Colin, John, and myself were doing our vocal exercises to get ready for, for You mean episode. while we were waiting for John to connect his computer? Yeah, yes. actually, download <laughs> Windows 10. That's right. Um, we got into the discussion of... Uh, Ashley Madison. And I brought up that um, I believe it was Paul Barth posted a poll in one of the many Facebook groups that we find ourselves um, spending way too much time in during the week. That is a question of was it, I don't remember the exact wording, was it moral for the person who hacked in and released the um, the list in the ha- on Ashley Madison's servers? Was it moral for them to do that? Uh, so if a Christian did it, would that be sin or would that be okay or would it be good um and i noticed i i didn't it was i checked i must have maybe i checked early on i didn't see anyone else that said yes but colin was one of the people that said yes and so i was questioning him on that and asking him what what he was thinking um but uh colin why don't you explain a little bit about what you were thinking when we first started the discussion 
I want to pull pull up the discussion where I read somebody's thoughts on it that kind of helped me or helped me think through it. So, for, I mean, for all intents and purposes, just with all presuppositions aside, it you know technically, whether it's moral or not, it it was breaking through somebody's firewall and security setup to take something that wasn't their own. So that's kind of the think about you know, coming at it from that basis. So it, was it okay to go through someone else's security and firewall and hack through and take something that it was not theirs, namely a, a, a list? Well, for all intents and purposes, you can call it an Excel spreadsheet of names and information. Here's what Adam Jonathan said. He said, two premises I think we can all agree on. One, this filthy website is not a legitimate business. Two, Christians are supposed to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Premise one means that as an illegitimate quote-unquote business, this website does not have, quote, privacy or any other kind of rights. Premise two means that is that its evil works need to be exposed. The video Paul posted is truly a blessing. He posted a, a video about this guy who had, like, his name was on the website, and uh, he had, like, you know, his 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 information was on the website because several years ago he was, like, not a believer or had, like, fallen into sin, and he had, like, repented and stuff. And so his elders at his church, his wife, this family all knew about it. He had been repentant, and so he was coming out to explain how it's, like, not helpful for them to be bringing that back up. But anyway video that Paul posts is truly a blessing, and certainly the exposure of this person's name will hurt him, but in a way, that will give glory to God through his repentance. So even though, like, this guy, it's like bringing up old wounds sort of thing, Adam Jonathan was saying that it's still beneficial because it brings glory to God by demonstrating that he's been repentant through that through that issue. So I'm thinking about the wording that you used of exposing its evil ways or something like that. Yeah, expose the unfruitful works of darkness. That's just like a quotation from scripture. So that's why that's why the terminology sounds like that. Okay, so the business itself, it's not hidden at all what it does. So you're, it's not really what what was done wasn't exposing Ashley Madison's hidden works of it was everyone knew what they were doing. So it didn't really do that. What it did is it brought out, it brought to light all those who participated in these, you know, whatever you want to call it, immoral acts or um, sinful works of darkness. Yeah. So what the individual people? So is it is it our... Inclu including the website because the website's facilitating that it's facilitating privacy in that area, quote unquote privacy. Okay. So I guess this, that it shouldn't have. Then maybe this should turn the discussion to our responsibility to um seek to expose other people's sins to the public because it's not it's not just like finding out that your brother's in sin and then publicizing it that's not the point if, if it was a christian doing it that's kind of what's happening and you're it would be unbelievers too but but that's not but that's not what's happening at all because you're not actually going in hacking in and finding a specific person's name and going like on his facebook profile and being like hey bro found your name on this list it was exposing all of the people who were involved in it and then it wasn't going going forward and saying like all of these people are obviously adulterers therefore you know they should all be whether kicked out of the pulpit or expelled from ministry it, it that wasn't the point of it the point of it was to expose what it, the evil that had been done in secret and thus allow anybody who may have not known to know what was going on. 
put yourself in this situation. You're you're a wife of a man whose name is on this list. Prior to this, uh, you thought your marriage was perfectly fine and nothing seemed like it was wrong. And now you discover that your husband has secretly been committing adultery for the last 10 years. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that his that his unfruitful works of darkness have been exposed? Well, that's a good thing, but we're talking about ends justifying the means. No, but see, it's not It's not like, e- I'm not saying evil justifies the good. I'm saying it's not evil to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. I'm saying it's not evil to hack their website because it's not a legitimate business and they have no rights of privacy. So I think maybe the thing that I'm kind of hung up on is it basically, when you break it down to the simple what what's going on, is these people went in, they took this list of names, and they released it to the public. That's basically what happened, right? Yeah. So as a Christian, if you were a Christian doing this, you could probably assume that there would be some Christians' names on there, whether it's from the past, currently in sin, whatever. Yeah. Is it moral for them to take this list and just put it out in the public? Absolutely. Is that the Christian thing to do? Wouldn't it... I mean, I'm trying to follow it the, like logically. So if it's okay for me to go out and, and do this, shouldn't I be look on the list? Is there anybody that I know? No, then that's not like I shouldn't be exposing it to the public. Because I don't see why not. Well, wouldn't it be if I know a person on the list, I should be taking go to them in private and then you know follow the progression of church discipline. But if you don't know them, you know, who are we to, should we be calling out random people's sins in public? See, publicizing the list wasn't actually publicizing, you know, wasn't publicizing acts of wickedness. It was publicizing, uh, you know, the attempt to seek. Right, which would be sin for Christians. Right. I mean, sin for anyone, but like, specifically for Christians, it's, you're exposing them of their, of their sin to the public, which wouldn't. Correct. Which wouldn't seem to be something that we should be generally doing. so so what you're saying so what you're saying is the person who actually did the hacking should call the phone numbers of every single person no. and confront them privately no that, that's what we should do to the people that we know and i want to backtrack to what i just said it's not that we shouldn't expose sin publicly joel osteen you know he we should be exposing his sin when he preaches heresy blah 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 that's not it's kind of i'm trying to clarify what i'm saying but see here's what here's what you're you're conflating two different things. You're saying that his pu- publicizing the list of names and the information on it was equivalent to skipping Matthew 18. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the Matthew 18 church discipline. That's not what it was. Right, but we're we're talking about it. Think about it as if a Christian did it, because we're saying think think about it this way. Let's put it into a context that we can like like make this make a little bit more sense. Let's say that yeah. let's say that there was like Planned Parenthood had a list of all the names of people who had ever had an abortion in their life. Is it moral to put that, to hack into their system and put that out there? Well, it's murder, isn't it? Yeah. And so if somebody has privately murdered, is it acceptable for that murder to remain private? If your brother has murdered somebody, do you go to him privately and say, like, look, you need to repent. Oh, you've repent. I've won, I've won my brother, so now I don't have to take this to the church? Does it matter what? Like there, there will be no legal ramifications right now. Well, now, but I'm just like saying in a in this hypothetical situation, if somebody had murdered, do you still not seek to have justice done in the situation, even if he's repentant? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm following you. Okay, okay. So I'm saying that this is similar to that. This is this has nothing to do with the Matthew 18 process because 
Matthew 18 can still be done with every single name on the list if they're all church members, which they're not obviously, but right. even if they were all church members, Matthew 18 can still be done because what can be done is you can go look on the list, find people's names that you know, go to those people privately and talk to them about it. Go through the church discipline process if it's necessary. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that the unfruitful works of darkness should not be exposed. It doesn't mean that we privatize sin. It doesn't mean that we keep things inside the church and pretend like they don't really happen. I mean, this is this is how like this is how people end up living with abusers for 20 years because they try to go through the church discipline process and keep it private. And idiotic pastors tell them, no, you have to live with your husband, even though he beats you and your children every single day. This is the same type of thing. Mm, yeah, I... we're exposing we're exposing something that destroys families. Hmm. It needs to be exposed. Absolutely needs to be exposed. And it and even if even if there's somebody on on the list who let's just say it was three marriages ago when they weren't a believer, and they were committing adultery with the person who was their last marriage that has also collapsed because they were an unbeliever at the time. And now these things come to light. And so now, you know, the reputation is slightly marred. Well, they have an opportunity now to say, you know, like, yeah, look, this is the type of life that I lived when I wasn't a believer. Here's how that happened. You know, like they can talk to that and it glorifies God by talking how they repented and came out of the life of sexual immorality. Obviously, it's going to make it's going to hurt people. But sometimes the truth hurts. I think I think what I've heard people talking about is it it sounds it kind of comes across as like what we're people trying to hunt down and track down anyone who's ever sinned and we need to expose it like we're like it's our like it's someone's job it's our job to go expose other people's hidden sins that's the that's kind of the 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 feeling that i get from people when when they talk about why why it's wrong it's not our job to go expose other people's sins on a private level that's absolutely true like if you know if you know that a friend of yours has a particular sin issue that you can deal with on a private level and it doesn't have to go beyond that nothing wrong with that at all but this is not one of those issues this is one of those issues where if you confront your brother and he repents then you go to his wife and say now confess before your wife then you take him to his elders and say now confess before your elders because the church needs to know about it it needs to be exposed this is something that biblically somebody should be executed for. So it's equivalent to murder in that regard. It's not, this is, there, there's a reason that God commanded that um, adulterers should be executed. And it's because it destroys the family on the level equivalent to murder. So it's, the, it's that type of, it's the gravity of the sin is so great that its works need to be exposed. And it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of like, you know, posting people's names publicly with their face up there saying, and this guy is an adulterer. That's not the point. The point is it needs to be exposed that these people were hiding this. And that's what it means when it says that we should expose the unfruitful works of darkness. It doesn't mean that we skip the Matthew 18 process um, in order to embarrass somebody. That's not the point. No, I'm not saying that. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's not the point of doing it. So the bottom line, the bottom line is though, is that uh, God ordained that this particular and, and keep in mind there are hundreds of these websites. Um, I don't know how long a Ashley Madison's been around, but obviously it's been it's been a while. Just from our brother, uh, the, the the Christian's testimony, you know, of 
being on there before he's a believer. and The same thing would go for any dating site where somebody could just easily lie and pretend like they're not married, right? Mm -hmm. It would be just, it would be the same thing. That happens all the time too. Yeah, our, we have a culture, man, that is so systemically anti-family. And like we, our last episode, we talked about abortion. Well, Ashley, met, like these websites, um, just, just the sin of adultery, the be, being anti-monogamy, being against the traditional family, pornography, it's, it's pornographic. And porn, pornography actually is not all about nudity. It is all about a political agenda to uh, destroy the family and to destroy society. It's atheist, it's secularist. And pornography, basically, the lie of pornography is, is that God's law is oppressive and that the traditional, the traditional family is tyranny and that monogamy is unnatural. Um, and they, and, you know, and it, it, it logically follows because we're products of this evolutionary process. We are cosmic sludge that somehow grew legs and now we're humans. We're the same as any other animal. Um, monogamy is just not in our nature. And so por por pornography and this, the, this agenda manifests itself in so many different ways. What we call pornography in our culture, it's a shame that we limit the term to only being this kind of smut type of rating system created by man in our society. That if you, if you watch something on the internet that's rated a certain, like X or whatever other ratings there are, then that's only pornography. And as Christians, we need to say no. That is not only what pornography is, which we talked about in one of our first episodes with Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey is pornographic. It's against the family. It's evil. It's wicked. It's adultery. It's fornication. And it's not that we are against sex. On the contrary, we believe it's sacred. We believe it's an act of worship between a man and a woman. And we believe that it is about the family. And the family is what really makes a strong church. It's what makes a strong society. So what I would call, what I would let everyone know is that God sovereignly ordaining that this whole and here's oh man the idea be, be what sells pornography what sells it is the idea that you can get away with it Th that the fact that you can go on you can go on the internet and look at these sites that you can do this and that and that you can get away with it and I have I I have a past. There's a reason why I'm passionate about pornography, and and that's because my, my I have a lot. Of, I had a lot of um, run-ins with that sin in my past about ten years ago, and it was a process. I had to go to my elders, go to my pastor. There's a reason why I have the same pastor since I was 14. I mean, there's um, there's th these things need to be dealt with. It's a disease, and it corrupts the heart and it corrupts the mind. And the idea is here. All right, real quick. Here's two lies of pornography that gets you in. One is that. It's na it's natural, and if you don't do it, then you're missing out on life. So if you're just a monogamous married man, man, you're really missing out on life. You're not living your life to the fullest. You're not being fully human. That's the first lie. The second lie is that no one's going to know. No one's going to know, and it's none of their business anyway. And what we see here with, with this exposure of the, the, the clientele, we should call it, of Ashley, Ashley Madison no matter what they're doing now, no matter what they used to do, the fact is that lie has been exposed. Your sin will find you out. That which is done in secret will be made public. It will come into the light. The light always exposes the darkness. 
So the debate on the legality of hacking it, I, I don't really have any, uh, I don't really have a dog in that fight in, in either way. I got to look into it more. But one thing I know is the God who ordains all things, whatsoever comes to pass, has ordained to give this kind of uh, demonstration in our society. And I think that we as Christians need to run with it. And we need to let people know prophetically that, look, that, that pornography is lying about that. Look, look, one of the most trusted, biggest names in that business was completely hacked into and obliterated, cannot do anything for their clientele. Well, that lie, you see that lie. Guess what? The other lie that you're missing out on something, how's that going for you as well? Um, it, it, it's a lie. It's, it's, it's human destroying. And Ashley Madison and these sites and pornography leads to dead babies. And that's what we need to understand. Like, it leads to dead babies. There would be no abortions if there were no, if there was no pornography. And I really can't stress that enough. If there was no pornography in our culture, there would not be abortions. There would not. I believe that with all yeah, my heart. And actually, um, there's another lie about pornography that is not often talked about. But uh, the the third lie, I'll call it to jump on your number system, is that it doesn't hurt anybody. Mm, and I mean yeah. that in a, I mean that in a literal sense. I mean mm-hmm. that um, not even if you're like even if you're not spending any money, if if even if all you're doing is clicking, just clicking, seventy five percent of the time, it's guaranteed, guaranteed that somehow it's supporting human tra- sex trafficking. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. I, I've actually researched that over and over. It's closer to eighty percent. Yeah, so there's a there's a direct direct connection between uh, porn, pornography industry and the human trafficking industry. A lot, and a lot of people don't realize that clicking, clicking on the link and watching it, and they can tell how long you watch the link and what you're doing. Um, clicking on the link is money. You're basically giving money because clicks are money in the internet world. Yeah, when you think about just how websites work and ads work. Yeah, how much time are you spending? What are you clicking on? How how often are you visiting? What pages get seen more often? That, that, that dictates what sells. They they direct you know what what people want based on people's web traffic. That definitely needs to be um, that needs to be thought about with Christians. And also to add to that, like what I just said, uh, and Colin, I'm so glad you brought that 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 the idea that it doesn't hurt anyone again logically, society in society. Look at the, the money trail. Look at the consequences. Look at the trail of tears, if you will. It leads to abortions. And because we have this idea that um, this, this, this wicked, twisted autonomy that is just, first of all, autonomy is a myth. It's impossible. And that which is one reason why to try to seek it causes so many problems because that's what's unnatural. It's unnatural for a man to believe that he is his own God. It is unnatural and a fool to say that you can do whatever you want with your body and that there's no consequences. And I'm not judging anyone. I was a fool for so long. I thought that I could do whatever I wanted with my body. I believed that it was it was the natural thing to do. I believed that no one would know about it. I believed it didn't hurt anyone. And I was wrong. Wrong. And if you're listening right now and you and you and you're like and you're like me. I want you to know also that like me, you can find forgiveness in the God who could crush you. 
He's just to crush us. He is just to pour his wrath out. Even tomorrow you might be appointed to stand before him. Friend, that's a terrible place to be in. If you do not seek the son who was crushed instead on the cross. And I really want you to understand that the gospel is a life and death issue. It's not just a religion. It's not just a religious view. It is um, life and death. Seek the son like the psalmist. Cry out for mercy and you'll find it. But don't keep living this lie of secularism that our culture is uh, perpetuating. But anyway, so I guess we can thank Ashley Madison for that. Thank you. Just like we thank Planned Parenthood, thank you for showing that God is sovereign and that you're not in control. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy thinking about uh, kind of switching gears to Planned Parenthood, um, how much traction this is getting. Even like, you know, the, the media outlets, even the big ones are, are covering it now. Um, the Twitter's talking about, you know, there's a new hashtag. Is it un, Unplanned Parenthood that, that, that went viral? Um, pe- people are talking about it and it's... Yeah. For those of you who don't know, people who are usually hashtagging unplanned parenthood are those who are talking about they considered getting an abortion and decided to not and um, just how they were thankful for not doing that. So cool. Well, uh, let's take a break for a sec and we will come back and talk about persecution and how it relates to Dapo Smell. Welcome back to Dapo Smell. We are going to talk about persecution. Uh, common objection by people who have, are of the ah-mill and pre-mill persuasion is that post-mill undermines or ignores or downplays the theme of persecution and tribulation in the life of believers. Dustin, what do you think about that? Uh, perhaps we don't speak about it that much or enough. Um, so I, I, I guess I haven't come across it, that, that uh, opposing argument that much, but I don't think it holds a lot of weight once we kind of dig into what 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 it actually entails. I think the reason why it comes across that way to people is because we're usually spending our disagreement... Talking about the positive. Talking about the Optimistic, positive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Talking about um, the the positive aspect of everything. And so we don't, we don't have, end up talking about that because we're focused on the disagreement, which isn't in that area. Yeah, we're, we're talking about uh, the millennium growing, getting better and better. So that would mean persecution in number would grow less and less versus someone who's pre-mill or amill where it's, you know, it's steady and it's getting worse. So it's, that's kind of the main point of the the debate is, no, it is getting better. The persecution will eventually go away. So we don't want to talk about that persecution in the here and now and what that looks like throughout the millennium. The way that I would say it is that persecution is not the goal of the Christian life. Persecution is a means to an end. It's not mm-hmm. the end itself. So even even if even if you just say straight up like persecution and then you die to go to, die and go to heaven, if that's all that happens in your life, the goal is heaven, not the persecution. So there's always it's a means to an end, whatever that end may be. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to jump into some verses here, and we can talk about what we think these these mean. So this is from Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to go from verses 18 through 23. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, 
Then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside, but he that received the seed in the stony places, the same that he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth it for a while, for when tribulations or persecution ariseth, but of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he that, re but he that received the seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So this is the passage of the, the sower, and there's different types of soil. The different types of people are equated to different types of soil. People who receive the word in a temporary sense, and then when persecution comes, they fold, they break, and they fall away. And then there are those who receive the word and they're deceived in, on the other end, not by persecutions, but by riches, and so they fall away because of riches. And then there's the middle ground, the good soil, is the one that receives the word and bears fruit. So this bearing fruit, I think, may include persecution. Because remember the one that, uh, the bad soil that fell away because of persecution and tribulation, uh, it was, the, the persecution and tribulation wasn't the bad part. The bad part was that they didn't endure it. Yeah, it's the falling away that is the bad. That's you know, apostasy and denying Christ and all, all that, that, that act of moving away is, is what's the worst part of it, not what's causing that to happen. Yeah, I think so. So the way that I'm looking at this parable then is that tri tribulation and persecution, which we know is a thing for the lives of believers, that's a fact for the lives of believers, those who desire, desire godly life will be persecuted. But what the goal is, is not the persecution, because persecution can cause you to fall away. The goal is to endure through it and bear fruit in the process. Because remember, the, the good ground is the one that hear, heard the word, understood it, and bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's that postmill right there. Through persecution. That's not grinning and bearing it and making it through. It's thriving and stuff coming out of it. Yeah. So there is, there is persecution in an, in, in an example of persecution as actually the seed of the expansion of the gospel. It's prosperity coming out of it, yeah. Don't say prosperity in the same sentence as gospel. You're going to confuse people. <laughs> One day the prosperity gospel will mean something completely different. We, we, we preach the prosperity gospel. Just the right one. All right, here's another one. Here's Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now, in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. So, Amel people and premium people that I have discussed with said that here Jesus promises a hundredfold persecutions in this life. What do you guys think about that? That's not the Greek. I mean, that's, um, 
yeah, the the, the hundredfold is the, is the is the blessings that will be added to believers despite the persecution, uh, even, yes. even even through the persecution. With persecutions, yeah. the the word The word "with" there is huge, huge in the Greek. Um, it, it actually makes a complete that that word that word provides a complete distinction between the persecution and the other the others listed there. It's actually basically to show uh, uh, how basically the blessing is so great that even persecutions will not hinder. Even though persecution will be there, the persecution will not hinder with the blessing of a hundredfold. And, um, and th- yeah, that's, that's really huge. I mean, we gotta, we, de- the, we definitely have to have to respect the, the language there and not let our theology come, come in the way. Yeah, definitely agree. You just went exactly, you said everything I was going to say. You nailed it. Good job, John. I'm <laughs> just kidding. All right. Here's actually, I'm going to go to my favorite, favorite persecution and tribulation verse next. Are you guys ready? This is my favorite one. I'm going to read the whole section, though. Hang on. I'm a little nervous. Hang on. Give me a second. And I'm not going to spoil it by telling you where it is. I'm going to see if you can figure it out after I've read it. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against (laughs) us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all all things? things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Is it God that justifieth? Who is it that condemneth? Is it Christ Jesus, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, bro. Amen. (laughs) Dang, you guessed it. How did you know? Uh, that's not a guess, bro. <laughs> Thought I pulled a fast one on you. <laughs> so what what does this teach us about persecution and what our perspective of, of it should be? Should we look at persecution and say this is the point? This is we should always expect this? Persecution is eschatological is what that what we see in that text. Um it it persecution is a means through which the kingdom is birthed into the world through the people of God. And the people of God have been given the Spirit so that they may follow Christ, which means that we follow him to Golgotha, which means we take up our own cross, which means that we have a spirit that makes intercession for us. Why? Because we are being crushed and slaughtered all day long, yet we rejoice. Though he slay me, we will serve him. Um, and that this is really uh, the crux. This is this is, in my opinion, practically, spiritually, uh, character-wise, the difference between a true Christian and any other person is that a true Christian knows how to suffer because they realize that their suffering is ordained of God for His purposes, and not just a purpose 
yeah, we don't always understand the, the nuts and bolts, and we need to realize that the judge of the earth will do right and that he is his ways are not our ways. But even if we don't quite understand it, we know it works together for good to conform us into the image of the Son, which is in the same chapter there, but also to bring the kingdom into the broken world. It must it is birth pains. That's how it's described. It is painful. If we and if we think it's not, then we are forgetting the picture of the cross, which is the most gruesome scene in history. That it took that for resurrection to be possible. So yeah, the suffering of the saints is eschatological. It is king it is for the purpose of the kingdom uh, that we do so. And uh, that just reminds me of uh, Revelation chap- chapter six uh, through chapter eight, where it's got that that image of the the seals, and then the transition there to the trumpets. I'm I'm going to jump in Revelation chapter six verse nine. And read this section, and then I'm going to jump forward to the to the beginning of the section with the trumpet. So this is um, uh, Revelation six verse nine through eleven. And when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, "How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth?" And white robes were given unto the every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Okay, so here's here's a picture of souls under the altar and they're told to rest for a little while, but they're, they're crying out. So these are people who have already been killed for Christ. These are people who have been persecuted unto death. And they're under the altar and they're crying out that God would avenge them. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Now, I'm going to jump forward to Revelation chapter 8. So this is after the vision of the seals has concluded, starting in Revelation chapter 8, verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar. So remember the altar where the souls are underneath? Having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. What prayers of saints was spoken of in chapter 6? That was the prayers of the saints who were under the altar, the souls under the altar who were crying out for God to avenge them. And the smoke of the incense, which came up with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, and cast it to the earth, and there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. And then each trumpet after that is successive judgment. So here we have the prayers of the saints who are slain, their souls under the altar. They pray and cry out that God would avenge them. And their prayers are answered when the angel takes... Their prayers are actually become the fire which God pours out on the earth, which he pours out uh, wrath upon those who had persecuted them. And and I was reading John Owen's sermon on um, Hebrews 12, I think, verses, verse 27, where he talks about um, the shaking and translating of heaven and earth. And he was saying, John Owen was saying that um, that type of destructive language where it talks about, you know, uh, you know, the heavens falling apart and the earth just collapsing and being destroyed by the wrath of God 
is is symbolic language describing the shaking of heaven and earth so that the unshakable can remain. And he actually goes through various passages throughout Scripture and identifies places where this language is used and shows how it's used to describe when the wicked who had previously persecuted, they're either destroyed in God's judgment and history, they're either cut off or shaken out of their former state and into the unshakable kingdom. So they're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son so that they will not be shaken by God's wrath. So it's it's a purifying fire and a destructive fire at the same time. I thought that was kind of kind of a cool thing. So you guys all check out that sermon if you want. That is dope. That is wow. And now I'm I'm going to jump forward to Revelation chapter 11. And there was given to me like a reed unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, "Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein, but the courts which is within without the temple leave out and measure it not for it's given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall be tread underfoot 40 and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred three score days clothed in sackcloth. Focus here is going to be on these two, two witnesses. Okay. I'm just going to give you a shorthand note here. The two witnesses describe the church and the reason that we know they're the church uh, is because they're referred to here as two olive trees and two candlesticks. Previously in Revelation, candlesticks were used to describe the churches of God. The seven churches were described as as being having candlesticks. And this is also a reference back to, I think, Zechariah chapter 4. I, I'm, don't quote me on that. Somewhere in Zechariah, uh, there's referred to as olive trees and the candlesticks, which is used to represent the people of God. These are the two olive trees. I'm in verse 4 of chapter 11. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut up heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have over and have power over waters to turn them into blood, to smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So it seems to those who dwell on the earth like these, like the church is killed. And their bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the grave. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days... And a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth the part of the city fell, and the earthquake, uh, and in the earthquake were slain men of seven thousand, and the remnant were affrightened, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now, before I finish the chapter, notice what's happened. Here it depicts the witnesses as having died, and the people who dwell on the earth rejoice over them. But then what happens at the end? God raises them from the dead, and the people are terrified 
and a lot of them are converted from it. So it seems like they over they were it seems like the church here is overcome by the persecutions and tribulations of the world. But what actually happens is even if we're persecuted unto death, we actually overcome by the blood of the lamb. And here's here I I, I kind of spoiled it a little bit for you, but let me read the rest of it. And the seventh angel sounded and there was and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and the 20 and four elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God saying we give thee thanks O Lord God almighty which art which wast and art to come because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned all the nations were angry and thy wrath is come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings, voices, voices thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. So here, the end of all of the, so this is the seventh trumpet right this is the last trumpet that was so this is going all the way back to chapter 8 all this wrath being poured out the wrath being poured out on the earth includes the wrath being poured out on the people who slay the church people who persecute them and the ultimate result of that is that the kingdoms of the world b- become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ now if that's not that postmail i don't know what is and it's very clear to us that the goal of the persecution is to produce the growth of the church in history. No, I think that's a blessing for our listeners. I mean, basically what, what Colin has blessed us with is, is that the narrative of Scripture, God's Word, is not quiet on this topic of how the kingdom comes and how persecution is involved with his kingdom. And rather than being a deterrent from the victory of Christ, we see that it actually demonstrates even further how sovereign, how great, how grand Christ is, that even persecution is used and is ordained for his purposes of victory and restoration of his creation. And it's just, and, and dude, I was really blessed by the Owen quote, especially. I think that was um really good. And then, and then your, your, basically your survey of revelation there, which was, I mean, if you call it a survey of revelation, you don't, don't feel bad because that was probably the quickest survey of revelation I've ever heard. Um, but it, it, I, think I only did like it's a blessing. I definitely did like five or six chapters, but yeah, no, it's it, I think it's a blessing because well, if you if, if you continue, we get to the new heavens and the new earth, and we get to the place where the sea is evaporated and no more. Um, and I mean, and just I mean, just from just from only the part of Revelation we covered, we can conclude what that looks like, um, especially in, it's specifically in terms of. God's people being vindicated and his martyrs, as Augustine said, basically paving the road for the church's expansion. And, you know, I just think that's real powerful and a blessing. So, yeah, that's really good. Cool. That was fun. Um, Let's go to another verse, another passage. So um, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to summarize for you. This is where Paul's talking about um, how... He knows a man, whether in the body or out of the body, who went to, caught up to paradise, to the third heaven. And it, it's apparent to most theologians that he's talking about himself. And then God gives him a thorn in his flesh to keep him from uh, being, uh, to, to keep him humble. And he pleads with God three times that it would depart from him. 
And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul here is saying that he rejoices in persecution. So, Amil people that I've talked to said that post-mill people can't take him seriously in this because we don't rejoice in persecution because we want to see persecution put to, put to an end. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I think that's ridiculous. But why? Why? I mean, like, why is that not what we're saying? What is it that we are saying? Well, we do want to see persecution uh, done with, just as God does. Um, because God promises that there will be, that his people will be vindicated, that there will be a new heavens and new earth where every tear is wiped away. Um, so we want what God wants. And and, and, and saying us and we, we got to be careful with that because, you know, these are our brothers. But uh, those who have a post-mill perspective agree with them. We want to see persecution done away with. But also, we understand, uh, and and we we really actually put a lot of a lot of stock and thinking and prayer in to the fact that persecution is how <laughs> I can't. I mean, I already said it, but I can't say any better than Augustine. It is. It is the. It is the. It paves the road of the church. You know, it is the the martyrs is the mortar, if you will. Um, the blood. The blood of the mor- of the martyrs is really how. When the blood of Christ was shed, um, it was it was final. It was the once for all sacrifice for sin. That does not mean, and we see in the narrative. I think this is the case. That does not mean that the blood would stop running um, from Christ's body. Um, Christ's body being the church. So we need to um, understand that to say that we um, can't take Paul seriously here. I would definitely. I mean, when we are slaughtered, when we are weak, when we are persecuted. That is when he is strong and when he expands his kingdom. We believe in the expansion of God's kingdom. We believe that he will always be conquering, always be moving, always putting uh, the enemy, all his enemies under his feet until there are no more enemies left to subject. And so until that day, uh, there will be intense. Matter of fact, I, I hold the view that the closer we get to the end, that there and I, and I I'm not saying I'm not saying that this is the little while or the little the little rebellion. All I'm saying is that I think history shows that the more active the church is in the gospel and the more we see it expanding, the 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 bigger the blowback from from you know evil from the from the enemy. I think that's I think that explains ISIS. I think that it explains Hitler. I think that explains the Roman Empire, especially under Caligula and, and Nero. Um, and domination. I, I think that all these things. I think that explains the intertestamental period with Antiochus the Fourth, the bad root that came forth, um, and tried to make Judaism as a whole illegal, uh, resulting in the Maccabean uh, revolt. I think that all these things show that the hist- that history always repeats itself in this way. And what happens is that in the end we see God's people win, and it will come a time when it will be such a huge blowback that the only result. If history is to repeat itself, if God's word is true, is the victory of the church, the blow, if the blowback is global, so huge, that then the victory of the church uh, overcomes that, that will mean that all their enemies are done. I mean, that that's just logic. I think that's just historical. I think it's biblical as well. I think that the Great Commission is more than preaching the gospel and having Bible studies. I think that the Great Commission is 
uh, total society, cultural, everything. And that when, when the Great Commission is fulfilled, I think that that's the only thing biblically that is keeping back. If, if we can use, sorry, my Baptist upbringing comes back. But the only thing that's really holding back Christ from his return is waiting on that appointed time when the Great Commission will be completed. Um, because it's great. Uh, it's wonderful. It's not so-so. It's not mediocre. It's not just a few people in every country. It is his creation, His the nations bowing down. It is Isaiah 2. It is the promise of Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's the, it's the promise of the Psalms and the prophets that every family of every nation remember and turn to the Lord. And this is done through and despite persecution, as Colin, you brought up with the parable of a hundredfold. The blessings of a hundredfold, even with the persecution, we are still going to be blessed and grow. The gates of hell cannot stand against us, cannot stop us. That means that we are on the offensive. They are the ones ducking and covering. They, the, the, the enemy is the one that's been defeated at the cross and resurrection. Death is the one without its sting, uh, without its victory. We have all the victory in Christ, which means that we can, like the apostles, when we're beaten, we can rejoice. Like Paul, we can be content or we can rejoice in all of our persecutions and all of our sorrows, even the thorns in our side. I just really don't see the conflict here. I really don't understand why. It, it, it really becomes, after a while, a straw man to say that post-millennialism can't account for persecution. Because actually, I don't see how the, victor, the victorious means that come through persecution can be accounted for in amillennialism. Because it seems that amillennialism never sees a victory for it. It's just always the, victor, the only victory in amillennialism is when Christ comes back at the consummation. I do rejoice in that day. I do wait for that day with great anticipation. I believe in that day. That day is, to me, the greatest day in history, and I look forward to it with all of my being. But I do believe also that that day is not the only time that we see the victory of Christ in the earth. And I think that biblically we see that it is his world. These are his nations. It is his holy mountain that is the greatest mountain in the world. It is a mustard seed. It is a dominion with an everlasting dominion, never knowing defeat as a kingdom. And I just really don't get it. And it, and it kind of it kind of can get frustrating sometimes when you're in communications, but that's when we have to step back and pray together and fellowship and understand that the differences aren't that vast. Because practically, let me tell you something, bro. Practically, every single man and woman of God in faith is postmillennial. I mean, they live as if Christ can. They live as if Christ is victorious now, and praise God for that. They should. Um, and then you know, so it really comes down to semantics and arguing. Yeah, and I think speaking of the um, speaking of the second advent and how that also is a glorious um, glorious state. Let's I'm going to go to Second um, Thessalonians one because there's this good passage here about um, what happens to those who persecute the church and and, and what persecution should be for us. So I'm going to start in verse three. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. Because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you towards each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled rest with us 
when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired with all them that believe, because our testimony among you is believed in that day. Wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he actually talks about persecution and tribulation as the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. So when we are persecuted, we look at that as a symbol of the righteous judgment of God which will come on them. Just as they persecute us, God will destroy those who persecuted us. And even if it doesn't seem like that happens in our lifetime, so if we're persecuted unto death and the people who persecuted aren't destroyed in our lifetime, if that doesn't happen in our lifetime, it will happen when Christ comes again and raises them to put them into eternal death. That was just a little side note. Back to this discussion. So 2 Timothy 3, um, as we know, is a, is a common um, complaint against post-millennials. I'm just going to read the whole chapter because it's a lot, of, a lot of stuff in here. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For all this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins and led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came, un came unto me at Antioch, and I... Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So here again, we see this, this concept of, of these terrible, horrible things that shall come, persecutions and terrible things. But look at what is the ultimate result of these men. Paul says, here's these terrible things, avoid them, turn away from them because the people who don't turn away from them will be exposed as foolish before all men. 
And then he goes through and he says, endure with long-suffering patience, persecutions, afflictions, endure the things like I've endured them, and God delivered me from all of them. So the goal wasn't the persecution. The goal was what the persecution produces in you and what the persecution demonstrates to the world and what the persecution produces in the ultimate result. It does wonders when you read the whole text. The whole, oh man, the whole idea, I, I hate, I hate proof texting, period. Um, because when you, when you, when you rely on proof texting, then you can say, oh, well, the Bible only talks eight times about this thing. Or it only talks, tw you know, oh, and it says this, and you put them in a list as if then that's, and then you take a verse by itself and you have no context, you have no compass, you have no bearing uh, with which, by how to interpret it. Um, you, you run into a lot of problems and really you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Um, but when you let the text speak for itself, and I'm not saying that letting the, like seeking to, to know the text in this way and seeking, seeking the text to speak for itself means that you're going to be right. And your and Bible study now becomes easy. Actually the opposite. Now it becomes not only a, a thing of, of the intellect where you need to really discipline yourself to, to study and, and take advantage of what resources God has blessed you with, but also even more so. You come to a place where you need to wrestle with your heart, with your own demons, with your flesh. Because the Bible is always that mirror. And this is a passage, I think, that that that, that has that effect. Is that all those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecutions. This has nothing to do with whether you're post-mill or on-mill. This has to do with whether or not you're godly. You know, like, like if you desire Christ then you're willing to follow him regardless of the consequences. And I don't care what you call yourself. If you're Disby, Postnal, Amil, if you're Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, I don't care. This is this is a passage that speaks to the universal church, and as all the Bible does. But um, I think that when, when people get caught up in an eschatological argument, which I do see this a lot, um, I think they're missing, again, Colin, I'm glad you read the whole text, because as you, I think, already pointed out, this text is actually about what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus. It means that his afflictions are your afflictions. It means that the world treats you as it treated him. As Christ promised, they, they, they hated me, but man, they're, they're going to treat you even worse because you're not me. You know, you're not, you're, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to go through, through trials and tribulations and sufferings. All right. So the last one I'm going to do here, John 16, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye may have peace. In the world ye shall, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That is super dapo smell. Because we know that in this, in this world, things are not good. But Christ has overcome the world. And his overcoming of the world also means that the world and the desires thereof are passing away. And the world is seeped in darkness, but the darkness is passing away as well. And so uh, part of the overcoming the world is a continual process. So he's overcome the world in a definitive sense already, and he will finally overcome a world in the ultimate sense in the future. And in the meantime, we see the unraveling of the work that he's done on the cross in history as the gospel goes forth. So so yeah, persecution for the win. Mm-hmm. Persecution, dapo smell. Persecution is totes dapo smell. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to know more about how persecution is dapo smell, go to daposmill.com. Follow us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. 
and donate to us if you want us to have better hosting because our hosting is not really that great at the moment and we would love for you to have permanent and complete access to all our episodes at all times. So That's right. go go to our website and hit the donate button if you want to give us some money, see if we can get a little bit better hosting. And go to church. Go to church, man. For real. Here, see gospel, everything, gospel, everywhere, everywhere.